0: So we've been in a series on my story. We've been talking about our stories of coming to know Jesus, and most of you guys, actually I would say pretty pretty much everybody probably has met, Cherish, uh, Cherish, (laughs) (laughs) Cherish, um, and I met uh, about four years ago now, and started dating, and I kind of, made her come here not really (laughs) she she decided that she would come here but through marriage she's been become a part of faith church but I would say that there are a few people who maybe have heard Cherish's story and this morning we're gonna um, do the same thing we did last week and kind of hear Cherish's testimony following a similar format to what uh, Pastor Dustin and Pastor Daniel have talked about as we looked at Paul's story so Cherish uh, what was your life before like before you had met Jesus?
1: Um, specifically before I had met Jesus. So I've grown up in the church. Um, for those of you, if you know Bethel Church, I went there for 25 years um, and really, really enjoyed, like strangely, even at a young age, like even in middle school, I really enjoyed listening to sermons, um, which I feel like a lot of middle schoolers don't, maybe some do. Um, and I was very inspired by what I would hear. Uh, and I thought that sounds really good to be a good person, like to do those things. And I thought I was doing that. Um, and for the most part, which we'll get there in a little bit with the later question, but, um, I felt like, yeah, I, I think I'm like, I know who Jesus is. I know lots of stories in the Bible about Jesus. Um, and therefore I know Jesus. And whenever I was young, I had, I thought I had given my life to Jesus um, because I prayed a prayer and then as I've gotten older I'm like yeah I don't think I didn't notice any life change at all Um, it was basically like a lot of people that I've heard um, in their younger years of growing up in church I prayed a prayer to go to heaven Um, and that's really honestly what I like that was the main motivation behind it there was no real life change yeah. Yeah. So
0: how did you encounter Jesus?
1: Um, it was during my freshman year of college. So like I said, I'd gone to church for 25 years. Well, at that point, maybe 19, 20 years. Um, and it was my freshman year of college. I went to USI and my best friend is a year older than me. So she attended a campus ministry there. Um, and then whenever I came a year later than her, she's like, "Cherish, you really need to go to SCF at Student Christian Fellowship. Um, and I was like, well, I need to make friends, so I'll do that. Um, so I tended there for my freshman and sophomore year, still in the same scenario. Like, yep, I know all the stories, I believe that Jesus is God, but my life was not any different than just like, yep, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But I'm like, what am I? What am I doing in the meantime? Like, nothing for it. Um, so it was there at the campus ministry and meeting a lot of my best friend Kaylee, a lot of her friends, um, they were talking about Jesus just in regular conversation. And one, I had never heard um, people my age, it was usually like older people that would talk about God, like God has so blessed me, like my great grandma would say that. Um, and I believed that she believed it, but I didn't really believe it. So anyhow, I um, yeah, seeing people my age that were following Jesus, that they talked about Jesus, like he was real to them, and I realized at that time, like, I actually, I'm not following Jesus, um, and my campus minister was a pretty blunt guy, like, wonderful, love him so much, and that's what I needed. I needed to hear, like, if your life has not changed, then you're not actually following Jesus, Um and I needed to hear that. So for for two years, my freshman and sophomore years, um, I prayed kind of selfishly, but the Lord used it. I prayed, God, help me want to want you because I don't. But I want what those people have. And I know that it's you because they talk about Jesus. Um, so I w- it was just an honest, very simple prayer. I can't tell you guys how many times I prayed, God, help me want to want you because I don't. Um, but he is sovereign, and he is good, and he is kind, and he answered that prayer. Yeah.
0: So having prayed that prayer and being discipled in college, what changed?
1: Um, I would would say the big change was that I was living 100% for my own pleasure. Like still, I was like, does this make me happy? I mean, I wasn't consciously or verbally saying that, but it was like, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Um, never questioning like, is this being obedient to God? Or if it, what another filter was like, does this sound good to me? Does this sound right to me? Like if it's a cultural topic, um, I won't name any of them, but you guys can think of some I'm like, well, what sounds right to me? And then I realized that's not the, if you are a follower of Jesus, I mean, every Christian would have a different answer for that. But to instead say, what does God say in his word? Um, I have to submit to that. And it is, it is good. It doesn't sound good at face value. But to actually submit to God, um, knowing how much he loves me, that he would die for me, of course, um, he's not just going to lead me into something that's not good for no reason, you know. Um, yep, that's it.
0: Yeah, and then what What did you do kind of at the end of that time that kind of you would look back at as like um, this is what marked the change. This is when I know that things were different.
1: Yeah, I would say that was probably my junior year of college. When I say probably, that's whenever I got re-baptized. So I was baptized whenever I was little because I was like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Like I prayed the prayer. You're supposed to get baptized next. Um, so... It was my junior year of college that I was like, Oh, okay. I I was at a um uh conference with the campus ministry that I went to and it was David Platt was there speaking and I remember he he said something, I don't remember what it was at this point, but I was like, Yeah, I, I need to stand up right now. And I remember my campus minister and other people that went to this conference with us, they asked me afterwards, they're like, Why did you stand up? Like You've been following Jesus for a while. Um, what What are you? That doesn't make sense to us. And I was like, No, I've I've heard long enough now. Like I'm putting my stake in the ground and I'm proclaiming publicly that Jesus is my Lord, and I'm not. I'm I'm putting him in his rightful place of being God and not me being in that place. Mm-hmm.
0: Why do you think that it took so long? you to realize that you didn't really have a relationship with Jesus after growing up in a Christian house and attending church faithfully?
1: Yes, this is a great question. Um, (laughs) So I never, as, as Don and the worship team was just singing, like, I never really, well, I'm sorry, no, it was what you said earlier. I never really realized my own sin, like that sin, what did you say earlier? That is my, what did you say earlier about sin?
0: Independence from God.
1: Independence from God. That. That is the thing that I'm like, oh, because I really thought I was not a bad person. Like, people told me, Cherish, you're a really nice person. You're a really good person. I'm like, yeah, I think so, too. (laughs) You know? Like, (laughs) I thought so because people told me. I'm like, I'm not trying to be bad, you know? I'm not doing, I didn't have a crazy story of I came from fill in the blank that's really significantly bad. I didn't have a story like that. So I thought, well, if I don't have a story like that, I don't really, I, honest, I honestly really don't see my need for Jesus. Um, but, I mean, again, like an honest prayer, which is the way you should pray, I told God, like, this was actually more recently. I would say this was a few years ago um, that I really started seeing my need for Jesus. I prayed and I said, Jesus, I know you died for me and you died a horrible death for me but I don't really get why you had to do that. And I just told him that. I was like, will you show me why you had to do that for me if it was even just me? Because I don't really understand. And that's a really, that's a dangerous prayer to pray because he answered it. And the way he answered it is he revealed my sin to me. Um, And my goodness, he still does. Like, but it's gracious. I asked him to. Um, So like my, my tendencies to be, controlling to be prideful it's lots of hidden things that's like it was even hidden from me I didn't know I was controlling I didn't know I had anger issues um or like severe selfishness um what else there's some other things too judgmentalism that was a big one like judging at judging people like to make myself feel better because I'm insecure or I'm prideful like so many things that are hidden God revealed that to me and it sounds funny to say thank you for like I'm thankful he revealed it to me but it's made Jesus seem so much greater like oh my goodness he he died for me I understand why I need it now um and just to say one more thing in that regard the people like I have those tendencies to be angry I'm not ruled by that anymore though like it doesn't mean that just because I gave my life to Jesus and he's now my Lord, that doesn't mean that everything is wonderful. It's not. It's not wonderful all the time. It's a lot better. It's, it's a heck of a lot better. Um, but being able to say, okay, that's a temptation, and Jesus is Lord of my life, and he rules over sin because he's defeated sin, um, that makes all the world of a difference. And now I can pray, saying, asking, Jesus, will you please give me peace in place of my anxiety? Jeez, Jesus, will you please give me selflessness instead of selfishness? And Jesus, will you please, like, you take control where I am controlling, and it's hard. It, it, it's hard to do that, but um, I've learned from a lot of people here um, that it, it is the best way to live for sure.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing, Cherish, and I've had a front row seat to seeing some of that heart renovation, um, and Cherish has seen mine, (laughs) uh, because marriage is sanctifying. Um, But in addition, Cherish also serves in kids ministry here, and she's also participated in discipleship groups and been able to do the exact same thing that was done for her in college. It wasn't just a thing that took place in college, but because she was discipled, she's now turned toward our congregation, towards people in this room, and has been able to um, disciple them and teach them what she has been taught. And so God is, has worked in her life, has changed her life, and now is, that is being poured into others. And that's that's the story. That's our story, right? Each of us have a story like that. Um, and as we've been through this series, I've, I've been praying this prayer. I've been praying that God would open up opportunities for us to be able to share our story, and I think that that happens, but that we would be prepared that we'd be prepared to share our stories. So I I just want to close in prayer with that, and then we're going to transition into a time of our message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being able to uh, gather together this morning um, and to be able to praise you for what you've done and sending your son to die for our sins, resurrecting from the grave and offering us the life that you have secured and the freedom that you have secured. Lord, thank you for rescuing us from our our slavery to sin. Father, we thank you for how that how, how you have worked and cherished his life to bring her out of slavery to sin and into life with you. And Father, we we thank you for the story that you have given each of us that's unique and distinct to each of us. That you have um you have really given us each a life with a specific testimony, a specific story that Um, is it matters, that it, it shows your grace in unique ways. And Father, I pray that as we go out from this service and as we enter into our daily lives, into our families, to our jobs, our relationships, Lord, I pray that you would guide us into conversations that we would be prepared for and that we would follow the lead of your Holy Spirit to be able to share our story in a way that glorifies you, that magnifies your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Hey, thanks so much, uh, Jerish, for uh, sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And uh, Eric asked me, he said, when we're done, how do you want me to transition? I said, well, you could pray or you could do like a really epic introduction of me, you know. (laughs) And uh, he went for the prayer. Uh, If you would join me in Acts 26, that's going to be our passage for today. Uh, It's an exciting time. It's graduation season, and uh, in your bulletin, hopefully you noticed we've listed, we have several people here in our congregation that are graduating, either from college or high school uh, this month. Um, It's just really exciting, and I just want to say to them, hey, we are praying for you, and we want to be a a help and a guide and a blessing to you at this point in your journey. Some of you are going to start new jobs. Some of you are going to go to the next uh, stage of your education. And uh, we're, we want to continue to be a blessing uh, to you through that. And for those of you that are starting new jobs, let me just give you an encouragement. Uh, don't be afraid if you feel like you don't know what you're doing, because none of us do, all right? We're just all making it up, all right? And some of you who've been at a job for a really long time, think back to when you first started at that job, right? And you're kind of amazed that they let you do it, right? Like it was surprising that they let you, with the little experience that you had, uh, start in that role. In our passage of scripture today, there is a guy who is new in his job, and he's not really sure what to do. His name is Festus, and he's taking over for a guy named Felix. And he's new in this role, and he has inherited Paul, who is a problem. Paul has been arrested. Paul's been put on trial for something that he didn't do. Um, Felix didn't know what to do with him. Festus doesn't know what to do with him. But Paul has appealed to go to Rome. And he wants, as his right, to go before Caesar. And so Festus knows he's supposed to send Paul to Caesar, but he doesn't know what he's supposed to say because the guy hasn't done anything, and it's obvious he hasn't done anything. So what do I write on this court case? So he's new in his role. He's got to send Paul to Caesar. He doesn't really know how to go about it. And uh, an official comes to visit him. This official's name is Agrippa. And the official's there because the guy's new and he wants to, you know, do the thing that politicians do when there's someone new in office. They rub shoulders. They, you know, they kiss the babies. They shake hands and, you know, build a relationship. And Festus is like, oh, maybe Agrippa will be able to figure out what I should do with Paul. So I'm going to have Paul do his trial again. And actually in Acts chapter 25, we have the conversation between Festus and Agrippa where he says, I don't really know what to say about this guy. And I'd love for you to hear it. And Agrippa says, I'd love to hear this story. And so they bring Paul out. And there's probably been like two years that Paul has been waiting. You know, something that's interesting about this graduating class, whether you're graduating from high school or from college is that all of these seniors had to do a whole lot of waiting because they experienced the pandemic in the course of their careers, right? And I'm sure that like the rest of us, it was not convenient. Paul had to wait. He's appealed to go to Rome. He feels like God's given him this opportunity to go to Rome, but he's been waiting. And now he's being trotted out to speak again because the new guy doesn't know what to do and he's gonna give his case before another guy. But I want you to see Paul's reaction to this situation. It's, it's not how I would react if I had been in the waiting room for two years, but this is how Paul reacts. Chapter 26, verse one. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you're permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for before myself, before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Um, Paul says, "I'm excited. I'm happy that I get to share this with you." And Agrippa, I hope you'll be patient. Paul's like. Paul is asking them to be patient. If I'm Paul, I'm like, I have been so patient. What is taking so long? But he is happy that he gets to share this with Agrippa. Some people might see this trial as a complete waste of time because Agrippa has no jurisdiction here. He's already appealed to Caesar. He's going to have to go to Caesar. Nothing can happen in this trial. It seems like an absolute waste of time. But God has given Paul the opportunity to share his story. Just a couple moments ago, Pastor Eric said he's been praying that that we'll take advantage of the opportunities we have to share our story. And I want you to know that sometimes the opportunities that we have to share our story, they look a lot like an interruption. They look a lot like something we need to get beyond to the thing that we need to do. If we have our eyes so set on the destination of our day, and the thing it is that we're trying to knock off our to-do list, we might miss these opportunities that we have to share the gospel, to share our story. This circumstance might have been an interruption in, in Paul's plans, or Felix's plans, or Agrippa's plans, but this was all a part of God's plan. I'm sure that for most of us, COVID was an interruption in our plans, but it wasn't an interruption in God's plan. And he's used it. He's used it in our church. He's used it in our lives. He's had a a purpose. He's had a plan in it. God has a purpose for this situation. He has a plan for what it is that he wants Paul to do. And so as Paul always does, he takes advantage of the opportunity before him to share his testimony. And this is the third time that Paul is giving account of his, his story, his testimony in the book of Acts. And this one is a little bit different because he recognizes that King Agrippa knows the customs of the Jews. Now, Agrippa doesn't have any real power as it comes to dealing with Paul's case. He was put over the Jews, but what he does have power over is the appointment of priests and how the Jews can celebrate their holidays and their feasts. So he is familiar with the way the Jews worship and their religion. And so Paul's going to use words here that Agrippa is familiar with. What Paul does with King Agrippa is what he always does. He considers the audience he's speaking to and how he presents his story. His story doesn't change, but he tells the same story with different details because they, they connect with the audience that he's speaking to. You know, if you're going to tell a story, you'd probably tell it differently if you're telling it to a 50-year-old or a 5-year-old, right? I hope you would. Um, if we're having a conversation, hopefully, you speak to me differently than you would if you were writing a paper, right? When we share our story with people, it should be conversational. It should be us understanding a little bit of their story and understanding how our story might resonate with them, connecting with them on details that are similar. That's what Paul does here. He speaks to Agrippa and he says, I'm glad that you get to hear this because I know that you know the customs and the laws of our people. And then he goes on. To talk about his life before Christ, look at verses four to five with me. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the be- my, from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Now, if Agrippa knows anything about the Jews, he knows anything about Judaism. He knows that the Pharisees are the Jews of the Jews. That they keep all of the laws. That they are incredibly zealous. And so what he's communicated to Agrippa in this moment is, I was a Jew of the Jews. I was absolutely dedicated to the Jewish religion. And then Paul goes to expand on that, and he follows the basic outline that we've shared with you several times. He says, this is what my life was like before Christ. That's what verses 4 to 11 are. Then he gives the story of how he encountered Christ. That's what verses 12 through 18 are. And then he tells him about his life after meeting Christ, which is what verses 19 to 23 are. Now, we've talked about Paul's testimony and his life before Christ and how he came to know Christ and his life after Christ. We've talked about it several times now. So I want us to focus after Paul has given his testimony I want you to see the response to Paul's testimony. Paul is speaking and he's sharing his story. And Festus, the new governor, interrupts. And probably he's wanting to seem like a big shot in front of Agrippa. And he knows Agrippa's story and his background and his family. He knows Agrippa is a pagan, even though he's familiar with the Jews. He's not he's not a Jewish religious guy. He's not going to fall for all this stuff. And so this is probably more for Agrippa and Agrippa's wife, Bernice's benefit. He interrupts Paul. Festus says, Paul, you're crazy. Much learning has made you mad. But Paul doesn't get sidetracked. Paul stays focused on Agrippa. That's what we'll pick up reading in verse 25. So look at verse 25 with me. But he said, I am not mad most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, for whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. And then he, he speaks directly to Agrippa. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. And when he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor, that's Festus, and Bernice, his wife, and those who sat with him, their entourage, and they walk out. This moment that happens when Paul speaks directly to Agrippa, and he says, Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. This is grace. Because Agrippa is Herod Agrippa. And he's from the family of the different Herods. And if you look back in the Gospels and you look through the story of Jesus and his life and John the Baptist, Herod comes up again and again and again. This Herod, Herod Agrippa, is the nephew of the Herod who killed John the Baptist. He's the cousin of to the girl, Salome, who danced for her stepfather to convince him to kill John the Baptist. This Herod Agrippa is the son to the Herod who attempted to kill Peter and because he thought he was God, was eaten up with worms. And he's either the great-grandson or grandson of the Herod who killed all of the babies in the region of Bethlehem when Jesus was born this guy's pedigree is bad. He's from a rough family. He's from a group of people that are not only familiar with the story of Jesus and the story of the church, they have been wrapped up as the antagonist in it. They have been the bad guys again and again and again throughout the gospel story. They've been showing up to do harm to Jesus And the church. But in this moment, God has orchestrated it for Agrippa, the descendant of all of these evil men, to hear the gospel and have the opportunity to respond to it. And when Paul looks at Agrippa and says, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. I have to wonder if Agrippa knows that the prophets are real because he's seen his. Ancestors die because they faced off with the prophets. He's seen how even when they have killed members of this way, the church, it doesn't stop. It just keeps moving forward. How the things that they have prophesied come true. God has orchestrated for this guy to get to hear the gospel. And when I think about this, it wrecks me Because, friend, it doesn't matter what your family tree looks like. It doesn't matter if you come from a long line of people who have been opposed to God's word and God's church and have lived like the devil and done the devil's work. God wants you to hear the gospel today and give you the opportunity to respond. And here, Agrippa, here's Paul's story. And Paul tells him that he... Had also been an enemy of Jesus. That he had persecuted the church, so much so that Jesus appears to him and says, Why do you persecute me? Now right? here, here get this, okay? Both Paul and the Grippa though they come from completely different backgrounds, Paul, this Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee, someone who keeps all of the laws, and Agrippa who comes from this pedigree, this family that has been opposed to God and Jesus and John the Baptist and has killed prophets and has killed children, has slaughtered anyone who stood in their way. Even though they come from very different backgrounds, they both, both find themselves as enemies of Jesus. Listen, it it might be that you feel like you're better than others. And Paul, as a religious zealot, could have easily convinced himself that he is far better than Herod and all of Herod's family. But both Paul and Herod need Jesus. And Paul, standing in front of Agrippa one day, has the opportunity to say, I wish that you could be like me, except for these chains. I wish that you could be converted like me. Now notice that Paul isn't saying to Agrippa, I wish that you could be good like me. I wish that you could be righteous like me. I wish that you could be Jewish like me. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying, I want you to be like me. He's like, I want you to be saved by Jesus like me. And this is important because the hero of our testimonies is not us. The hero of our story is, is not us, it's Jesus. The hero of Paul's story is not Paul, it's Jesus. And he wants Agrippa to allow Jesus to become the hero of his story as well. Paul is saying to Agrippa, listen, I was an enemy of God too, but now I'm on his side. And you can be on his side as well. The message of our testimony should never be, I've been so great and you should be as well. Our testimony should not be like, I'm a pretty great person and you should kind of be like me. The message of our testimony is, I was an enemy of Jesus, but he won me to his side. We're all God's enemies due to sin. And not just because, as Pastor Eric mentioned earlier, not just because we've failed to do the right thing and we've done wrong things, but because it's in our very nature to show ourselves independent of God on our own. It's in our nature to want to be the heroes of our own story, to be the main character. And the story is not about us. It is about Him. If God can welcome someone like Paul and he can welcome someone like Herod, Agrippa, I'm sure that we can find ourselves somewhere in the spectrum between the two. And he can welcome us. One of our values here at Faith Church is that we welcome everyone because we know that God can change anyone. He can change Paul. He can change Agrippa. You change anyone. And we know that the gospel changed everything, changes everything because it's changing us, because we've experienced this, because we've recognized this. Jairus spoke of that there is this need in our own hearts and it's constantly being revealed to us that there is a greater need for a work in us. There's this greater need for more of God's grace. We know that God can change anyone because he changed even me. Paul shares this story and then Agrippa responds. And I think it's one of the saddest verses in Scripture. Because Agrippa says, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. Paul says, I wish that it was not almost, but it was altogether. Not almost, but altogether. And It's it's a tragedy to be almost a Christian. It's a tragedy to go to church your whole life and hear the stories of Jesus, hear the stories of Paul and say, those are good guys, I want to be like them, but never experience Jesus saving you from your sin. It would be a tragedy to sit in these pews today and hear the message of the gospel, but not become a follower of Jesus whose life is changed. I don't want anybody to almost be a Christian. I want you to all together know Jesus, completely. And whether you're full of pride and self-righteous like Paul was before he came to know Jesus, or you're from a family and a backstory of greed, and pleasure, and lawlessness like Herod, Whatever side of that, that coin you're on, you can all together know Jesus. Paul shares his story and he calls King Agrippa out by name and says, Do you believe? I know that you believe. So Agrippa has some belief, he has some knowledge. He's heard of these truths. This hasn't been done in a corner. He's a king in the time. All of this is happening. He's familiar with it. But will he choose to follow Jesus? King Agrippa stands up and he walks out. And Festus and Bernice and the entourage, they follow with him. And they go on about their duties for the Roman government. Friend, I might not call you out by name this morning, but I think the Holy Spirit just might call you by name. You know, you believe, but have you chosen to follow Jesus? Are you following him? Don't almost follow jesus all together follow him paul shares his story he was faithful to do what god called him to do and then the response was up to agrippa today cherishes shared her story pastor eric has made it clear that we're all sinners in need of god's grace and i've shown you how paul shared his story and gave the opportunity to agrippa We've tried to make it clear to you today. We've tried to be faithful, but it's your choice of what you'll do with it. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our team's going to come, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. As they do, you have that opportunity to choose. You can choose to altogether follow Jesus today. I hope that you won't be like Agrippa, who's almost a Christian. And then just stand up and walk on about your day. Father, work in our hearts in this moment. Lord, if there's someone here today who needs to make the decision to all together follow you, Lord, may they come forward to this altar to call upon your name, to pray, to make that public declaration that they're going to follow you. We pray these things in your name if you would remain in a spirit of prayer, but just stand with me as the team leads us in this song. And if God is working in your heart and you want to make that decision today to all together follow Jesus, I invite you to come to the altar here. We'd be happy to pray with you, answer any questions that you might have, show you what it means to follow Jesus.